I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Both pairs have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for 10 years. 20th of July, we made it. Here we are and we're still in phase three. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> We're still no further forward, but uh, the handball alleys are open, so that's some good news. Um, and that's that's about it, really. The changing rooms are staying closed. I'm sort of I'm happy with that, to be honest, because I don't really feel too comfortable just piling into a changing room of everybody at the minute. So I'm glad the the GA and probably the government are advising them have taken have taken the lead on that and just kept them closed. Because I know straight away as soon as they're open, managers and stuff would want people just to jump in and have a meeting and would be in there all day looking at tactics boards and whatever else. But just to sort of get us up to speed. So Fergal McGill, the GA director of Player Club and Games Administration, he sort of gave an outline for reasons why they're staying closed and the gym facilities are closed as well so that's that's more good news if you're not mad into the gym mm. um, so he said one of the key uh, parts of our control measures around keeping clubs safe is trying to keep players outdoors as much as possible the reason for that is that you're 19 times more likely to contract the virus indoors than you are outdoors it's purely from a common sense basis it doesn't make any sense for the GA to open dressing rooms or gyms at this stage Connor you're probably delighted that the gyms are closed as well right <laughs> yeah I was just about to say that it's great that like you can use that as your, your excuse now it's not like uh, oh I'm dying to go to the gym but I can't because it's closed you know but uh, <laughs> let's say I haven't um I haven't missed it too much. Like we, uh, I think I've said this before. We took weights out of, we took some like dumbbells out of the gym and stuff like that. And yeah, for the first few weeks of lockdown, I was like, right, you know, I had a nearly routine. Used to do my little workout with my dumbbells, like uh, nearly uh, as often a week as I would have gone to the gym normally. And just uh, like a lot of things at the start of lockdown that you're very enthusiastic about, it kind <laughs> of um, fell by the wayside a little bit after that. So. Listen, if I can't go back into the gyms for another few weeks, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> Isn't it funny? There hasn't been one person crying about the gyms not opening <laughs> on social media or, you know, when Willie started his campaign about the pitches and everybody else was was shouting about them as well. Like nobody talked about yeah. the gyms opening <laughs> and there's still, still no word about the gyms opening, even though it's going beyond July 20th. Yeah, this is GA gyms, of course, as well. Like I, I think a lot of people are happy about commercial gyms being open, but but guys who've been doing five Ks and now back to probably doing fairly intensive training at the moment probably aren't that disappointed that another element of you know maybe having to do squats or leg weights or stuff like that and be walking around like uh, I know like you've just come off a horse for a couple of days. I don't think uh, people are missing that too much. It's such a tough like happy medium you're trying to hit because. Yeah, you want to sort of get fitter and be doing more work all the time, but you also want to sort of be performing a training. Now, unless you're probably in the top 20%, you're all right. Like you can come to training and, and be half hours of it. But most people are trying to sort of hit training at, at their peak so they can perform at it. So then 
you don't want to be doing gym work outside that because you don't want to be going to train sore, but the gym work would help you. So you almost have to sacrifice a few weeks of being crap in training or not being up to the real standard that you could be just to be able to start, start getting stronger or whatever. Because after a while, when you're doing the gym work or you're doing the dumbbell work that you're talking about, you'll be you'll be grand then coming into training and you'll be well used to the extra work. But unless you sacrifice those few weeks, you're not going to get to that point. Well, that's that's exa- that's exactly it. If you had been doing it throughout the season, yeah. as I suppose you're supposed to be, it would make no odds if you had a, like a gym session in between every couple of training sessions and stuff. But the reality, probably for me and for a lot of people, is that their gym work has been neglected. So if they could do go and do it now, you know that they're feeling it for a couple of days afterwards, and it's having an effect on them training at a time when we're just coming up the championship. So, <laughs> like obviously, I don't speak for everybody, but I say there's a lot in that boat that are just like, well. Maybe I can, you know, do it out the gym and they have a handy excuse, first of all, because they don't want to compromise their own training sessions or their own performances in training sessions and in, ma- and in matches. And second of all, there's no gyms open for them to do it in the first place. And in, 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 secondly, so, so yeah, like it's, uh, they will, they will again, the, the, like the plan is, I think, for them to open still on, on 10th of August. So still plenty of time for a lot of, a lot of teams when they're, when they're playing their championship matches and stuff. But uh yeah, not too many, not too many people missing them. Maybe for the time being. No, no. So we both played games uh, since the GA announced its regulations. So last Monday we were talking about um, just going through the regulations that the GA had laid out, and we had a game scaries um, on Thursday. That was a challenge match, obviously, but it was interesting. Just some of the new things that were coming in the water bricks, like the. They're a bit weird. Like Cormac Riley, he was the Meave referee, is he from he's from Meave? He's the intercounty referee. He was he was doing the game, but um so he did the water break straight away and not straight away, obviously after 15 minutes. Yeah. A little bit weird because you sort of thought it's like is this is this not another one of those balls like three thirds or whatever? But yeah. um everyone had to be told it was water break. But actually it was no big deal. But you went over and got your water. Um but the annoying thing was it was an opportunity for the management to have a talk again, and you're like, oh, it's supposed to be a one minute water break, but then you're brought into a huddle, it goes over the minute, and that's going to happen i think more yeah. often as well like you know like the referee's blowing his whistle to tell everybody to come back out but so what can you do if people are an extra minute over like and then it's just eating into the time and getting people a longer break and just disrupting the game yeah we, we, we've only had one game where there's like an official water break i suppose the other one i think we it was a challenge match so we'd arranged with the team that we were playing against to divide it into quarters so you know, they, they were kind of natural breaks as opposed to um, those those imposed just for water. But I know from after the first one, like I learned a big lesson. I I really have to apply this to training session as well is because because you're bringing your own water now and the water isn't supplied to you. Like what, what we've tended to do is we train at the top of our pitch and we just leave our stuff there, you know, with our bags, including mm. our, you know, including our water. And then we we'll go down to the other end of the pitch to start training. You might do a drill and you might be wrecked after it. So you're too wrecked to go up and get your water. So, you know, so uh, just we learned a big lesson for the for the second game that we had just to have our kind of water close by. But that's like it, it sounds like a stupid thing. And it is. It's kind of up to the individual. But like that's that's the sort of thing that will catch you, you know, like in, especially if the if the weather is going to get hot and something like that. And you find yourself parched and, and mad for water, it's especially considering that you're not allowed any official mayor ishkas now. Now, I'm sure. A lot of teams will kind of maybe find devious ways around that for now. But um, like everything, I mean, we've we've only played two games, so I'm sure come championship time, by the time we've played a few more, we'll have adapted. But it but it is taking a bit of getting used to. Yeah, it probably will be like the the gum shield thing. Like once you play one game without the water and you get caught by it, you won't you won't let it happen again. Yeah, the yeah, same yeah. gum shields. Once you get a belt in the mouth, you definitely make sure you're wearing it the next time. Um. The huddle, the huddle thing, we we sort of scoffed at that as well. Like you know, the two meters apart from the huddle, like that hasn't been happening in any team that I've seen. Um, the halftime kick around, like that's banned, which is a bit weird. Like these players are training together, so I don't I don't understand why that's banned. Like, yeah, yeah. And there's no halftime show. Like, what's the point in even being a sub? Do you know, it's like that's yeah. the best thing about being a, a sub. I was actually thinking, like you know, there's no point in even going to watch the game as there's not going to be a halftime show. I always assume that's why people came <laughs> yeah. to watch. Um, that wasn't the game on Thursday. It wasn't really enforced. Like nobody was told, but it just didn't happen. Whatever reason, like the managers wanted wanted everybody in and that. Um, the weird one that I found was that I don't know if this was just a thing up at our pitch. The subs were put into a little pen behind the wire that it was it was sort of laid out for them, like you know, like yellow tape was around it, and it was like the subs had to go out here. And right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the reason for that. Like, have you experienced that? Yeah. Oh no. Like, like a, like a, like a pen, like with, with like garter tape around it or something. Yeah, it's like a sheepdog. Then, <laughs> like, I don't know if you have anything to make you feel like a bigger loser and being a sub is put onto a pen behind the wire. 
No, we've just had, and like, thank God, like it's it's been raining for for both times, but like it's been fairly mild, and, and it hasn't been like teeming out the heavens or anything like that. So we've just had, like, as per regulations, we've just had subs on, you know, our subs on one side of the pitch, and the other team subs on the other side of the pitch. And it's interesting you mentioned the halftime kick around. Like I know, um, just from you know w- when you're a sub, you're kind of confused about what you know. Do you want to? you know, before COVID came in, do you want to pretend that you're really dedicated by being the sub who goes into the dressing room with the team? Or do you say, no, no, affect that. I just want to hang around and have a kick around. So because you don't go into the dressing room now, I thought there would have been more potential for the subs um, to to go out and have that little kick around. But like, like if, if you say they maybe have to be permitted to be allowed out of that pen behind the wire that you're talking about. So... <laughs> <laughs> then you hear the dogs barking and you run back in <laughs> do you know I used to um, when I was in school there was a sub among the teams and every time somebody made a mistake I'd be standing beside the manager and I'd zip my tracksuit down <laughs> just like, yeah. really audibly so he could hear it like he could hear that I was ready to come on and like it was registering with him that this person had made a mistake and god look there's somebody with his jacket off he could come in like, it never worked but you're, always, like, you're like Ace Ventura put me in coach <laughs> yeah, yeah I won't let you down um <laughs> The all like the counting was at the gate, like so they were counting how many heads were, were coming in, and um, it was weird, like because one of the one of the players, who obviously the capacity is two hundred people, are only allowed into the pitch during these games. Um, one of the players came in, he was about twenty minutes late, and he came over and he was told that he was number eighty one. Eighty-one, right? What if he was told, like you know, well, sorry, you're two hundred and two, you can't come in. It's like, but I'm playing, I'm playing fullback on the team, and we're sort of joking, saying the manager pretend like there's sort of two hundred people here and you can't get in, <laughs> like you know, yeah. forget about <laughs> it. Like you know, for example, like Desi Farrell was up watching that game. I, I get what would he get turned away? Dude, and there's there's loads of space around the pitch. Like there, I, I can see John Horn's point of this. So he was on Morning Ireland on Friday, I think it was. And he was talking about like a special dispensation to allow 500 people in. And like, I'll just read out some of his quotes here. He said, the change in attendance guidelines has delivered a hammer blow to the organization. We put the return to the club game first to benefit our members. I don't know if that's, that was the case, really. I think it benefited the, the GA, give them more time to have a bigger crowd later in the year for the inter-county game. Anyway, he said, um, we were relying on, county boards were relying on increase to 500 as a way of being able to cater for the demand on the ground from our supporters. They now have the extra burden of continuing to police 200 being in attendance. I'd say some people would love that job, like, you know, love being able to police who can and can come oh, in. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He said, uh, John Horn said, if you take those involved in the teams and Sheridan out of it, you're probably looking at 120 supporters. And that's that's right. Like, he's bang on um, about that. I think the Wexford Championship started at the weekend. And I think the way they did it was the players on every panel were given two tickets each. So if you take like 60 people between the two panels who are already there, and then both of those are given 60 tickets each, that's 180 already. And then there's Sheridan's referees. Like, you know, it's. It's, it's not going very far. Like, so not a lot of people are going to get an opportunity to see these games. Uh, Horan talked about the dimensions of the GA pitch that allows for social distancing. Uh, with 200 people, it allows for four metres between every player. Um, we have also encouraged everybody to wear face masks. And he's just sort of, um, he really just openly calling on the Taoiseach and the Tanisha to go back and review their figures. And just finally, he said, we have stadia throughout the country, which can cater from anything from 6,000 to 50,000 people. And to say that you can only have 120 supporters put in. I think the volunteers in our organization acted totally responsibly in this pandemic. And I don't think if we allowed them to increase the attendance from 200 to 500, that they would act irresponsibly. What do you think of that? Yeah, so like I, I I get where he's coming from, particularly because like, I know at the very start of this, when when championships were being resumed, for example, that uh, there was talk that there would be selected venues in each um, each county the championship matches could take place. So you know, I'm thinking of Mayo, for example, and if you were to designate uh, Castle Bar and Ballina, two of the biggest county grounds in the in the two of the biggest grounds in the county, and then I I get where he's coming from. It does seem a bit much that you can only allow maybe sixty you know, 60 supporters from each team are these vast kind of, these vast big grounds that could hold, like Michaela Park could hold about 30,000, you know, on um, for, for an inter-county game and stuff like that. So it does seem a bit weird. I suppose what the, the problem there is that, like, he had to he had to mention the, the, the phrase special dispensation. So when, when the Diego talking about special dispensation and then you have, you have other sectors and possibly other sports, but definitely other sectors of society that are talking about dispensations being allowed to the GA. And I'm, I'm just thinking particularly in the last few days with, with, with pubs and stuff like that and, 
and how 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 rural Republicans would have think they've been they've been shafted. And when you're when you're talking about a, a comparison case as well between a small ground and the big city that John Horn is on about, you could make that comparison between rural bubs and the difference between that and Dublin. And, you know what, what's happening in Dublin as well. So like the thing about this is that like these change these kind of. Um, these guidelines would have been more palatable had they see the thing is so we were expecting there to be 500 people allowed at a certain point and now it's been taken back from us if that makes any sense yeah. as opposed to you know going through the phases and you know if if we thought if we knew for the last few weeks that there was only going to be 200 it'd be easier to accept but when you're told that there was going to be 500 and then it's coming back to 200 it just it just makes that you know a bit more bitter to swallow like i'm i'm thinking to myself our first championship game is on the August Bank Holiday weekend. It's on a Sunday. And if you've got great weather, for example, we're playing a team that are five minutes down the road. So there'd be local rivalry there. And like I'm not think I'm not thinking that there'd be many more people beyond two hundred at it. But it would possibly be the only game of our year that there might be more than two hundred people at the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it really seems like a disappointment. And that's that's small fry. That that's uh, an intermediate championship game between two you know, two medium-sized, small to medium-sized towns. You can imagine what it's like in big counties with big towns, and they can only they can only have two hundred people. So, yeah, I like I get the disappointment. It's just it's just the whole special dispensation thing. I mean, that's that that potentially um that potentially causes a lot of obstacles for for the government. It's it's very disappointing, but I suppose like like everything in this, we have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good point, and. I think as well, a lot of the counties with their championships, one of the big carrots that got everyone excited again was the idea that clubs would have home advantage, you know, for some of their championship matches or for one of their championship matches if they were doing a group. And I know like in Derry and Dublin, you have home advantage for one of the games and you get to keep the gate receipt. And that was a big like, wow, fair play, this is class. But now it's like, well, actually, you're only getting 100 people in the gates or whatever, like, you know, where you probably had envisaged a thousand people down at your home pitch. And again, like you're right, there's a bigger picture there, but it is just a little bit, ah, we thought it was going to be better than this. Definitely. Yeah. And that comes back to as well, just that there's something being taken away from you as well. I mean, like, I mean, clubs no more than every, every, like everyone's society, I suppose, everyone in the GA, but clubs have been starved of revenue, you know, and like, uh, like I know gate receipts mightn't be. The biggest thing, you know, the biggest source of revenue for them, but especially in a county like Derry, where where that where that just something as simple as that just seems so novel. You know, you, you get to stage a whole game and you get to keep all the receipts. And like th- there was probably planning, a lot of clubs kind of planned for that and you know, for their accounts for the rest of the year and stuff like that. So to again to have that taken away. But again, what like like I, I'm I, I sympathize, but I struggle to to provide a solution given the given where it sits in the overall scheme of things, I suppose. That's it, yeah. I actually don't think it's the most important thing right now anyway, even like from John Horne's point of view. So I, I completely agreed with him when it was on talking, and I, I do think you could go 200 to 500, whatever, but I, I, just, I was disappointed that that's all he was talking about because while he was talking on Friday... Derry was in a situation on Thursday night where two clubs had shut down and then that just rose to four on Friday morning by the time he was on and then six and then eight and then it went up to ten and it just kept happening and Derry, all these clubs kept shutting down because of all these little clusters and you know, I was thinking, what again? We talked about this last week. It's like, what did that happen in two weeks' time? What do Derry now do with their with their championship? Like Derry's championship starts in two weeks' time, and then they had suddenly have ten clubs. That's 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 a quarter of the county wiped out across three divisions. So yeah. th- there, there's been no guidance on the GA about what happens here. And like a lot of people would say, it's up to it's up to the county board to sort that, but it's not because <laughs> the county boards don't have a lot of options because the schedule is as tight as a duck's arse. You know, and and they basically have to try and manage everything. And then if they're if they're being told that, you know, there's ten clubs out and they're probably out for a week or two weeks, then you know what 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 the hell are they do? They don't have a lot of space to continue with the club championship. They can't push it back. Um, and like actually, like and, and this this has all happened. Like a lot of these clubs, it was uh, temporary closures. Or, like a lot of them are opening again today, or that's the plan anyway. They're they're just waiting to see how. How this, how bad this thing could get, and if, if any more tests would come forward. But there were a lot of different clusters that happened in Derry, and like the te- the ten clubs that were emerging on Friday and more over the weekend. 
like one of them was like an alleged house party where a couple of clubs like you know might have been indirectly involved in that one of them was apparently like an innocent meeting between four like sort of older sisters who had two different clubs between them you know they were involved in two different clubs but one of them apparently had COVID-19 one like apparently there was a dance in a bar which is madness to think but that that apparently did happen um there was only like a few confirmed like positive tests in the community in Banagher and Dungaven and Cloddy but like a lot of these clubs have already played against each other in challenge matches, and then if you think, especially around that North Derry region, just off the off the Glen Shane, there are only eight hurling clubs in Derry, so all these clubs are forty clubs in total. A lot of them are playing together in these hurling clubs, and then going back into different changing rooms with their football clubs. They're not changing rooms, obviously, but back into training, and it just shows then how like one one case in the community can suddenly just cause a mass scare and. Actually, these clubs under the guidelines shouldn't have been closing down based on what the GA have told them. Yeah. But they acted because, like you know, they weren't sure if it was close contact or casual contact, and they weren't sure if any of their players had COVID nineteen as it was. So they just said, "Let's shut it down and make sure that nothing else is going to spread, and we're not going to put ourselves at risk." So I think they should be admired for for taking that fast action. But again, it just sort of smacked of. They weren't being told what to do from the top, and it was actually the clubs, not even the county board. It was the clubs that were just having to make these decisions themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're thinking now. So we we talked about it last Monday as well, and I think last Monday we we're, were talking. We were we were back. I think clubs were back playing games no more than two weeks, I would imagine. And you just look at the amount of clubs and the amount of counties. You're talking about the amount of counties that just started snowballing on on last Friday, last Friday morning. Collection and Leash was this around the same time. Mm-hmm. We we referred back to last week, um, the the few club, clubs in Cork, you know, like three or four clubs in Cork, and this was a result of a house party. And you you mentioned the house party in 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 Limavady, I think it was that that affected that affected some of the clubs in Derry as well. So, again, just as you said, it just goes to show how something, well, they're they're not innocent, but like just like a, how how a gathering like that can affect so many people and so many clubs, and like like. I sympathise with the with the GA about kind of the maybe the direction that they can provide because they're relying on government advice that is that is now changing depending on the amount of cases that are in the community and stuff. Do you know what I mean? But nobody will give out nobody will give out to the clubs involved for for temporarily shutting down you know activities because it's the, it's the safest option. So the thing is, I mean, we're we're looking at this. You know, we talked about how we haven't gone to phase four yet and we're still in phase three. And the government last week took some measures. I mean, like a. I think they said that like the you're only allowed the social social gatherings of I think it's um I think indoor gatherings of fifty people are allowed, but in terms of social visits to other people's homes is limited to ten people with no more than four different houses. The pubs aren't going to be reopening reopening. There's a, there's a, there's a few other kind of measures like that as well. So you hope that that they'll have the effect, but like a desired desired effect. But there's every chance, given what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, that there's a lot more clubs going to be in this situation that they're going to have to, you know take the interests of their members at heart and, and act, you know, just be ultra conservative until they're absolutely sure that, you know, they, they, there's no, you know, there's no, no chance of any of their, any of their members having been in contact with somebody who might've had COVID. So it just, it's, it's a, it's a really, really, really precarious kind of situation. And it just like overall, just, I think there was a wave of enthusiasm kind of, you know, that greeted the return of GA and being able to play challenge matches and going back to training, I think a couple of weeks ago. So it's just been, it's just been dampened a bit um, with, with events in recent weeks. But again, listen, I keep saying it, but bigger picture as well. You have to look at that too. Yeah, but like, that's it. But also the, the fact that there wasn't really any positive cases in the actual teams here, like the fact that that can cause this mad ripple effect, you know, yeah. because you have all these indirect contacts and again, probably not clarified if it's close or casual, but again, why, why take the risk? And that's all it takes. It doesn't necessarily take somebody in your team being tested positive of COVID-19. It just takes somebody being in contact with somebody or being in the same vicinity as them. And then suddenly a case like Derry, bang, quarter of the county wiped out or more. And like, I, I, I thought of Derry and Tyrone. I'm not too sure of all the other counties' layouts, but like a lot of the clubs are on top of each other. Like, you know, I remember chatting to the boys in the team down here and I told them like at the time there were four clubs that had closed down and they assumed that they'd been playing each other challenge matches. And it was like, no, like they're just, they're probably all going to the same shop and the same bar and the same, like, they're just right on top of each other. The clubs in Derry are almost too small, but that's probably part of the, the big rivalry as well. I'm not sure what it's like in Mayo. No, it would be the case in like in, in, a, in a couple of places in Mayo that like they, they definitely, 
like clubs would if, if they're not on top of each other they would access the same parishes let's say and stuff yeah. like that so 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 that would that would be an issue there as well and that's it's just it just it's just the way of it that's that, that that's the way that's the way it's going to happen that like um that 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 that, that people who regardless of whether you're whether you're playing challenge matches against clubs around like that that you're going to be in contact with people who might not be from your club or might not be from your community and stuff like that um and it's just how like how how did you like how did you manage it i mean like as i said i don't like i I wouldn't necessarily have anything wrong with any of the clubs so far who are being ultra cautious because that's just the safest option and and kind of in the bigger picture that's probably the best thing to do. But like we're talking about a time where, like I think Wexford Wexford returned to the weekend, but like had this, you know, like will the reaction <laughs> like you'd like to think it was, but will the reaction be the same in counties when it's it's not just challenges matches and stuff like that or divisional cup games that are a threat, but it's big championships and you're potentially looking at championships being cancelled as as a result down the line. So it's um it's just so 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 precarious. Yeah, it is. I want to have a word on Kieran O'Connor. So obviously heart heartbreaking news from Cork. Like he's only forty one years of age and he passed away and like what a tough, tough man! Like just a real driving force. And I think of him, I just think athleticism. When I think of that Cork team towards the tail end of, of the last decade, I just think of running and power and just these hardy, tough men. I think of Graham Canty and I think of Kieran O'Connor. And um, do you know, like just they had such an impact down there. Like not not just on the team. If, if you think of things like friends of Kieran's, which yeah, especially when you look back now, like what a credit to the GA and a credit to the man himself as a friend and a family man because you can sometimes just think of these guys as players and, and what a loss they are to the GA. But obviously, he was a friend, he was a family man, and he leaves behind his his wife Sinead and, and three children. And uh, sometimes I don't even know what to say in a case like this. But Graham Canty was on RT's uh, game on, and he said better than anybody. He was telling the story of uh, Kieran's club. I had playing. I think it's as a Bantry Blues that yeah. Graham Canty's from. Yeah, and uh, the, basically there was a bit of a, a row that broke up, and people were getting back up from the ground. And apparently Canty and Kieran O'Connor, who were Cork teammates at the time, they were still the last two on the ground, and they had each other by the throat. And none of them were letting go, and you know they were rolling around, strangling each other until the ref came over and told them to cop themselves on, and you know threatened to send them off or whatever. And uh, they both got up, got on with the game. And afterwards, apparently one of Canty's teammates said to him, "Jesus, you know, you and O'Connor must not get along." And Canty said, "Ah, no, no, we'd be fierce friends now. I'm actually getting a lift up the road of him after this. Our wives are out to dinner together." And it's like, yeah. Jesus, like you know, that's that's almost sums up just that like competitive spirit that. Uh, that Canty was talking about, and just the the spirit that Kieran O'Connor had as well. The fact that, geez, he loves his club, he loved competing, and he could just leave everything behind on the pitch, and then still drive up the road of this guy who he was strangling a few minutes earlier. Just thought that was a great story from Canty. I saw that story, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, like I was thinking as well when I was reading it that like isn't that the ultimate teammate that you know you can go to battle with, and you know sometimes it might get out of hand. Um, on the pitch, but you know, as soon as it's done and dusted, that like it'll it'll be left there. Do you know what I mean? You're talking about, she's talking about two hardy boys, Graham Canty and uh, and Kieran O'Connor, as hard as they come. And just when you mentioned that that Cork team as well, it was just, I think uh, he would have been around it from 2003, 2004. But for as long as I can remember that Cork team, they just summed up that they were kind of mirrored probably ahead of their time in terms of their like athleticism and they stuff were. like that. Few full of like lads that were probably six foot two could run like you know, could 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 run all day, were strong and, and well able to play football alongside it. And, and Kieran O'Connor, one of those, I mean, just so just so very sad. I mean, to think that he's 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 gone at gone at forty one and it was only ten years ago that 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 that, that, that great Cork team after kind of a few kind of near misses went and went and won the All Ireland in twenty ten and and just going back to like not not to I'm I'm sure like 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 Kieran O'Connor was the subject of a load of great tributes from from the GA community and the wider GA community kind of over the over the 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 last few you know the last couple of days of last week but just just Graham Canty said something apart from that story that really struck me he said um he was someone you could really rely on whether it was on the pitch or off the pitch he was a go-to man if you were in trouble you knew you could confide in him if you were on the pitch and needed a bit of a backup no better man to have behind you listen they're simple words but I think if if a teammate was seeing saying that about me after I after I finished my career I take it as the ultimate compliment so from somebody like Graham Canty I think uh I think you can't say it better than that. But just, just, just very, very, very sad and very sad for his family. Bang on. And like, that's, that's actually, you put that perfectly because when I think of, say, my best friends in the GA, I don't really, 
think of them as players. You know, like you know, if you start talking about matches and all, then you start thinking about it. But I, I think of I think of playing poker and I think of being in the changing rooms and I think of the crack you have standing around, you know, on the pitch before you start training. And yeah. like, you know, the slagging you might be having or slagging off somebody else, hopefully, when, <laughs> when it's not you. But like, and, and the, like, yeah, and just that idea that you can turn to these people as well if you ever needed them. And you're right, like that is that is the ultimate compliment because the football career is only 15 years at senior level or whatever. And then it's just like what you, what you can do beyond that and outside of that. And that's that's your real your real mark. And he obviously left it in Cork. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, as, as you said there, like circumstances might bring you together in terms of like in a dress room or something like that. But like when you're, it's when you're telling the stories kind of years down the line, it, there might be a couple about what happened on the pitch, like what Graham Canty said, but the majority will be probably what happened off the pitch. And even as you said, maybe at training and stuff like that, when it wasn't, um, when it wasn't being taken that serious and stuff like that. And that they're the, they're the people that you remember long after your career is over. So it was just, it was lovely to hear somebody, um, somebody held in the esteem that Graham Canty is, talking like with um, such eloquence and talking in, in such a way about, about Kieran O'Connor was a really nice tribute. Yeah. And the, the Donegal team, they've, they've come together. So yesterday they did a charity cycle to raise funds for baby Livy Mulhern. Um, they set off from nine different locations and cycled to McCool Park and Bally Buffet. And between them, they visited all 39 Donegal clubs. And that is no mean feat if you consider the size of Donegal and how spread out a lot of the clubs are. And you know, you're going right up to Malin, essentially, right up to the very top of the island and, and starting in Guido as well. So to, to cover all that between everybody, there was uh I think it was everybody involved. Stephen Rocher was involved, Declan Bonner was involved, all the players were involved. And it's like just just a great idea, a great thing to do, like you know, to visit all those clubs, but to raise funds as well for Olivia Mulhern, who was recently diagnosed with a rare and serious genetic neuromuscular condition called spinal spinal muscular atrophy, so SMA. Um, and she needs uh, urgent surgery in the USA, which costs over two million. And it's the same, same sort of campaign that they're trying to run. Remember to do it for Dan thing. Um, Dan Donaher obviously had the same condition, so she needs to go to the USA to have this treatment. And I'm delighted to say that Donegal midfielder Hugh McFadden is on the line now. I have to tell you, Kelly Biggs is the home of the worst conditions I have ever played in in my entire life. It was an Ulster League game a few years back. We went down, there's this big lovely pitch up above and we thought, oh great, we're going to play here. And we were sent down to the beach, which was essentially a, it was a beach that we were playing on right by the sea and a storm came in that day and you couldn't, like somebody had a free kick from 13 metres out and they couldn't put it over. I've never played in anything like it. Are you used to that down there? Yeah, I suppose that's one of the beauties of living along the west coast. Of- a special thing for living in Kilibags. Yeah, we're well used to the, the, the wind and the rain and uh Unfortunately, some days you can come up the winter and, and it's hard to play good football. So, uh, but hey, look, it's, it's a beautiful place for most of the year, and it, and it works out all right. I did. I, I went back there a few years ago. I was doing a a thing on Seamus Coleman and I couldn't believe just how different it was. It was absolutely beautiful place. And, uh, you know, it was like like the scenery was unreal. But I was thinking about Seamus Coleman. You sort of took the same the same path as him, didn't you? You went St. Catherine's soccer a bit with Sligo Rovers, but then you chose GA. You made the right decision. <laughs> no, I look, uh, Shimmy is your typical Kelly Bags man growing up with every sport like the rest of us and people love to make comparisons between people's journey but ah, look, I just I just played a week of soccer growing up as most people do around here and uh, played a week for, for Tarps and Spy or Overs and uh, then when I was asked to the senior team around roughly uh, 2013 or so uh, that's the journey I went, you know I suppose at that time like Donegal football was pretty sexy right <laughs> there's a big boom in the county yeah look uh, especially I suppose when Jim and Rory and then took over in 2011 and you know after the 2010 season things weren't looking so great but you know the Quinn and they won the Ulster in 2011 and obviously the magical season of 2012 and you know Donegal as a county at that stage was desperately crying out a team to get behind and a team to support and you know, that whole generation of footballers just captured the imagination and the hearts of the rest of the county. And, you know, you're following, following the county team as a supporter in those few years and all everybody ever wanted to do was to represent Donegal. And uh, I think that generation of footballers, you know, Carl McFadden and Christy Toy, Big Deal, and that whole kind of episode of men, they were the men that kind of sparked, uh, you know, a successful enough uh, decade. 
Jesus, Christy Toyer is something else, wasn't he? He was just a real Rolls Royce of a player. Hi, that's right, Christy. Yeah. Not only is he a great player, he's a fantastic fellow. Hey, uh, you know, always fighting, always good crack, and uh, you know, one of the only all greats. Was there a stage there then when you just come in? You were obviously a, a young lad, and Christy Toy's still doing the rounds. His hair's a bit greyer at that stage, but like, he must have been thrilling just coming into the same dressing room as him. Yeah, look, when uh, you, you come into the dressing room as a youngster to start, obviously I was coming into a changing room that had just won the Ireland uh, just a year previously, and you know, you're all that, you're your heroes and the big names of football, and it was just fantastic to get out playing them. But look, as any young player, it's all right at the start, kind of admire number two, your teammates, and then you're challenging to get on to get on the team, and that doesn't be long wearing off, you know. Mm. Here, uh, I believe I, I owe you an apology. Were you getting a bit of slagging off your mates over something that I had said on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, some sort of comment made last year after the, the Mayo game about being a like ham of a man or something. <laughs> A lot of my friends in college, uh, one of the boys in particular, there, gets a good laugh out of it. And uh, <laughs> anytime I start up with a slag, and uh, I think the, he throws this big one liner at me, and I'm left kind of dumbfounded <laughs> with anything else. <laughs> I am so sorry, Hugh. Like, you can put that on the record now. I didn't mean it for it to stick. Ah, uh, well, sorry, I just showed it. Well, tell me, like, because it is interesting, like, I know with Killy Biggs, you've always been this real driving force. Have you adapted your game a bit in Donegal over the years? I think the last few years or like a couple of years ago, I would have thought you were more of a a sort of guy who was minding the house. But now you're you're sort of bringing what we would know from Killy Biggs and that you're flying forward, you're you're linking everything, you're scoring goals even. Like, is that is that more your natural home, didn't it? Ah, look, I, I think it's very hard to point a finger on it. Um, to took a long while to try to just even break into the Donegal team. Mm. I had a lot of fantastic footballers in Donegal and to, to get me on the third phase. And it, is, it took me probably a wee bit longer than I would have liked to, to make an impact. But look, I just kind of go out and do what's asked me, do a special team on any given day. And look, I've been looking to get a few few scores in the last few games before COVID, but I wouldn't get too tired away. My game has changed so much. Um, I think people love to make comparisons between club and county. And, but it's very hard, to, you know, to make a reconnection. Like, I would have played a lot of my earlier football for Kelly Beggs and for forward. And, you know, I think people love... There, there's a big disparity between the game and um, I, I just want to make huge comparisons, you know? Mm. What like, what do you find the big difference between club and county is? Because I think Kieran McGinney was on Tomas O'Shea's podcast and he, was, he always says that there's not a big difference, but like... I take it the pace and the the tactical evolution is, is way higher at, at county level. Yeah, well, I suppose it it, it has a big depends on what level football you're playing at. Mm. Um, you know, my club today we were basically out of Division One to be all for ten years. So, like most of our league football is playing against a lot of teams without any other county players. Yeah. So you know, as if, if you if you're from a very strong team and you're and you're playing in big championship games. You know, maybe get into Ulster club football and there's teams that are the county players that might be as big as a difference. But you know, at the end of the day, you're going to uh, county training and every single one of the players at the county training is a, a top class club footballer or maybe one of the most prolific players on the team. And uh, it's just like the training is better players all the time, the, the speed of the game. But at the same token, you know, if you're not at it in any given club game, you'll be the long shot up as well, you know. Yeah, well, are you enjoying being flat out with the club now, just down training with, with all those boys? Yeah, it's funny, like, obviously, the, the country's going through a tough time, um, and COVID has brought along, you know, a lot a lot of difficult things with it. But one of the magical things that actually has happened with COVID that, you know, maybe a young generation uh, has been able to stay around home. And, mm. uh, you know, our numbers in Kyle are probably the highest that they have been since I can remember. Just for a few simple things, people can you know remote working or you know they're able to work from home. Uh, if there's boys in maybe big businesses in Dublin, they can stay at home. You have college boys having been able to to go back to college, or they won't go back anytime too soon. And then like there's no J ones or holidays, so basically <laughs> nobody else has anything to do about here. I never play a bit of football, so it's really enjoyable. Um, you know, we're up there now, and we're training two or three nights, and like we're 
we've had one or two friendlies, and we obviously had our game against Qatar there at the weekend. You know, it's just great to get out and play again and see local derbies and championship rallies just less than two weekends away. And I think there's a big buzz in the club games. Um, it's just a pity like we can't get big crowds in through the gates, obviously. But uh, uh, I, I just, I, from Kelly Beck's point of view, it's fantastic, and uh, I think people are really enjoying this this wee buzz of football, you know. Yeah, do, do you have um, do you have any old boys that, that have come back out who might not have been there for a full season, but now that it's what eight nine weeks, <laughs> they'll take that. Uh, the few boys have kind of appeared through the door again. So yeah, <laughs> a few years, uh, David Connell there is one of the boys that's kind of put up the third season back out, and there's a few familiar faces coming out for the, the reserve team as well. So it's great. I think yeah. uh, one of the things that COVID has done, like I was probably telling the radio, the radar of everybody knows the importance community. Maybe, you know, camaraderie, friendship and just looking after your neighbours and I think the GA summarises all those key points and uh, just getting up and having a bit of crack at training, you know, it's hard to beat it. That's it because there, there's uh, something about this season, yeah, like I think everybody probably thought there wouldn't be any football and they didn't really care at first stage there because it was like this is, this is serious but now it's like they just, they're just happy to be out playing football and being around people again so it's almost like Yes, it'll be competitive, but there's just a new sense of perspective where it's like, sure, isn't this class? And like, you know, there's more to life than winning this championship. Yeah, I think uh, I know for us in our club, we will come back to training to really touch out the people in our community that might be involved in the team. Mm. You know, youngsters that maybe kind of dropped off playing after you know their 16 minor, and uh, we weren't really too fussed on making it too serious. Obviously, uh, we just want people to come back and get involved. And, Obviously, the run up the championship and your senior team is going to be focused on being as successful as you can. Yeah. But I think there's kind of a, a, a refreshing uh, attitude towards inclusiveness and uh, just having a bit of fun. And uh, look, you're try hard while you're doing it, but getting boys out and having a bit of crack is probably higher up in the list of priorities than it might have been. In yeah. Years, you know. I've seen a few um a few clips of you playing with Kelly Biggs. Like you're pinging freeze over from from all sorts of distances and off the ground. How how far down the list are you in the Donegal peck in order to to take over the free kicks? I'm having no rush to be taking over the freeze. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things well, doing at the moment, and uh, you know, obviously, and Michael, we have you know the best in the business, and uh, he's there, and hopefully, he's gonna be there for a long time still. So. I'm happy enough just uh, tipping over a few for Kelly Beggs. I'll not be rushing to Declan many times and trying to take him off Michael. <laughs> you, you haven't had the balls to take it off Michael yet and just say, sorry, sorry, kids, this is, this is my turn. <laughs> uh, uh, the temptation to maybe throw my shoulder one day and take me that ball, but no, nah, no, nah, we're happy enough with the way it is at the moment. I can see a, a Neymar and Bappy thing happening where you're both holding on to the balls. <laughs> I don't think I'll be winning that one anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, t- here's one. Um, like through Donegal Tyrone, everyone's mad excited about this, and I think you know because it's knockout, everyone's thinking it's going to be unbelievable. But I thought about this just a couple of days ago, where it's like because it is knockout, I'm worried now that it's going to be a really cagey game and a really defensive game because one of you are going out that day, you're going out of the championship, and I think that's going to result in just this sort of. Uh, not boring, but it's go- it's going to be like two teams who are at the same level, really respect each other, and they don't want to give anything away stupid. <clears throat> yeah, look, um, you've kind of touched on a few things there that could possibly be true. It's very hard to tell as far out. Um, you know, obviously, it's been so long since we played an intercounty game, mm. and uh, it's actually still so long until we play the first, our next intercounty game, to say such. You know, we were actually playing Tyrone in the the sixth round of the National League in October, um, maybe two or three weeks before we play them in the Ulster Championship game. So all those things will have an impact. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how winter inter-county championship football turns out. Yeah. You know, despite the league maybe being in winter and, and early spring, every team still is preparing every other year for, you know, hard ground, hopefully a sunny day, big fields. And obviously they're going to be the same venues, but you just, don't know how the weather's going to be and uh, that might have an impact and I know I suppose a real championship game is knockout but in terms of your season being over in one given day look it's it's a change for our generation of footballers um, I was walking through Kelly Beckett last day actually and uh, Manus O'Boyle and Barry McGowan uh, two legends of the game here kind of winked at me and said you know how we had it for all those years now big man <laughs> time, time to step up and they were smiling away so it's definitely going to be different, but 
2020 is different, you know, Conan. Yeah, this is, and like, well, the winter thing's a good a good point. Do you think Donegal are well set for that? Like, I know you're not going to say Tyrone are one dimensional. I sort of think they're a bit more one dimensional in that they, they love to run. But I, I think Donegal are a team that if I was say there was a football manager game of GA, like Donegal would be one of the teams I'd be mad to take over because there's so much different things you could do with them. Yeah, it's hard to tell exactly how the winter football is going to affect us. You know, uh, it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, you have usually one of the best competitions I love watching as a fan is the Ulster Club Championship. Mm. I guess it's always a phenomenal competition. That's always ran around the November, December time. And uh, the teams are usually very successful in that there have different styles of playing. So it's going to be interesting. Um I don't know exactly, you know, you're talking about them, a gilly football manager, how you can work it out, but uh, uh, Donegal, look, we'll try to prepare as best we can. Tyrone are, a, you know, extremely good players, very, very good footballers, and, you know, I suppose at the end of the day, too, I know, I, I acknowledge that the weather's going to have an impact, but having a lot of very, very good footballers in your team is going to help, too. Yeah, that's it. Do you think, uh, just the last one on that, do you think it's it's a bit unfair and like, nearly anticlimactic that like, you're playing like it's, it's two of the best four teams probably four or five teams in the country and they're playing each other in the first round just because of a luck of an Ulster championship draw you know whereas if you're not an Ulster you're lucky you're not, you're not there and you're not going to be put out first and do you think that's a bit does that grind your gears a little bit but like fuck god's sake like I would love to see Donegal turn on meet in an Ulster final say but it's just a luck of the draw yeah look um like as a player and as a Donegal player, I I don't really worry about it. To be honest, mm. uh, I kind of love it. Uh, like I, I love the big games in Ulster. I love how we pride ourselves up here in Ulster as you know a fantastic competitive competition. Uh, if you see the scenes in anything we the championship, you know they're heroic, and then we really pride ourselves in having that there dynamic. Um, as a member of the overall, as the route to winning. The Sam Maguire fair for everybody? Uh, probably not. You know, I, I think the team in Ulster this year has to win six games to win the first, sorry, the preliminary round of Ulster has to win six games. Mm. Whereas if you're automatically in the semi final in Connacht or Munster, you've only to win four games. Yeah. So, like, regardless of anything else, that is directly unfair. That's not me taking an emotional opinion. That's just yeah. basic logic. You have to win more games. Um, so, I don't, I don't think there's a perfect answer would I sacrifice an opportunity to be a competitor for winning Ulster just to have a fair competition? Probably not, but that's probably not a smart opinion either. <laughs> yeah. Are you um are you a little bit worried that what was it July now? So the championship's not starting until October, November. I think it's not starting until like yeah, you work, yeah. you'll end up training for three months and then <laughs> it could be a second wave and you won't you won't have a championship to play and you've done all that work. Yeah, that's hey, a you know given probably the nature of COVID all around the world and maybe our travel restriction policies which are definitely interesting to say the least uh, it's a worry but I just kind of take the attitude that it's just something I can't control and uh, you know like at the end of the day if you're a footballer and if you're a proud footballer you'll just love training you'll love competing and uh, it doesn't bother me the idea of getting out here now for my club for the next few weeks and, and the next few months and then when Donegal are allowed to start training up again uh, I'll be more than happy even if there is still a risk that things could go belly up down the line mm. and here like yesterday he's did, a, he's did a class thing so all the players in Donegal were cycling all around the county and he went like I actually thought this is a great idea anyway that he went to all the different clubs between you and like it was obviously for for a great cause as well but like it was for Livy Mulhern was it? Yeah uh, you touched on it yesterday uh, Sunday we, we uh, the Donegal Senior Football Team and Management uh, took part on a, a charity cycle. We called it Donegal Cycle for Livy. Um, basically, what we did was we set off every single player was on a, a, a group, left from nine different locations around the county. So we've got nine further locations. So, for example, myself and the boys from South West Donegal left from Glen Conkill uh, after a game on Saturday against Kilgar. <laughs> uh, myself and the McLean, Paddy and Andrew Queen and all the boys made up and uh, there was a bit of slagging and jarring about the game but you know all that went aside when we, we were going probably the most important event that we've done in years and uh, we all cycled through all the different clubs so our route for example we started in Kjotjar Kelly Beggs Neve Olsen uh, St. Nalls Four Masters and we met up with Lacey and Jamie Brennan Paul Brennan Paul Papa 
uh, Stephen Rockford and the boys in from Athens, and we all set up across the gap. And there's other teams leaving from you know Pedigo, Bandor, Gidor, Fulcara, Downing, Clon Manny, and uh, it was a great day. Uh, it was great to see so many people from Donegal come out and meet us, uh, friends, families, uh, just youngsters, mad to get out to see the Donegal fans. But more important, more importantly, mad to get out and support this great cause and. Yeah. Uh, the cause we were supporting was called A Better Life for Livy. And it, uh, it's a, found- a fundraising effort to raise money for Olivia Mulhern, who's a 10-month-old baby who was unfortunately diagnosed with SMA, spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, it was in the same condition that Dan Donner, famously from the Do It For Dan campaign, uh, would have suffered from. And uh, they're trying to raise over $2 million to send their child to America for a special treatment that'll help her was a better life and uh, basically that's what we we wanted to do and uh, something sometimes there's things just a lot bigger than football that have to be supported and I'm very proud to be involved in the, the Donegal team that went out of our way yesterday to help one of our own you know yeah no it really is class and, and fair play to you and there is a there's a GoFundMe page as well it's uh uh, team Donegal for the, the number four team Livy so um, definitely go check that out exactly. as well. you can find that donation link and uh, any of the Donegal players, social media, the official Donegal GA page, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, that account to be live for the rest of the week. And uh, we're just probably begging at this stage. We are, you know, really begging to the people of Ireland and uh, Irish people all over the world to donate what they can. And uh, not only are we doing it to raise money, but the Donegal team wants to be kind of a, a stimulus in raising awareness in this campaign. And, uh, you know, uh, circumstances have happened. Living life over the last few days and weeks, which actually means that the treatment is going to be a lot more urgently needed than it was. Mm. And uh, hopefully, we'll get that soon. soon you know. Uh, that's brilliant. Uh, fair play, and like the very, the very best of luck with it. Hugh, uh, thanks, thanks a million for coming on, and um, I'll work on my adjectives to describe you during the championship in 2020. And we'll you, call you, you, you just make sure that Kelly Beggs doesn't have a friendly against your club team, and it's a big man. That will be okay. I'll be hey, standing away in that big ham. <laughs> no bother. Thanks, thanks a million, Hugh. See you later. Oh Jesus Christ! So Hugh McFadden now wants to bury me on a football pitch, and Connor, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't fancy my chances against that big ham. I don't fancy your chances either, Connor. To be honest, I think uh, you talked about needing oxygen there um, on the pitch a couple of weeks, so you need double dose after after trying to chase after him, or even after getting a belt from you, McBaden. So, fingers crossed, you're right, and you don't meet him on the pitch. Yeah, it's been a bad couple of weeks. I'm talking about needing oxygen today. I'm talking about not wanting to go to the gym, and now Hugh McFadden's threatening me that if I ever play him, he's going to bury me into the ground. <laughs> Did you ever think about retirement, Connor? Or... <laughs> it could be the time. Yeah, it could be the time. Anyway, on that joyful note, thanks for that, Connor. We will <laughs> leave it there. Um, thanks a million. Our good friend, Colm Wilberto Parkinson, is back next week. So you should see his Twitter activity picking up now throughout the week. So just get ready for it. And we'll see you then. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other. And... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years.